Before I get started today, I want to share with you a podcast I've been enjoying lately that I think you'll like too. It's called Plucking Up by Liz Bahannon. In each episode, Liz talks with celebrated authors, entrepreneurs, artists, and leaders about their failures, mistakes, and wrong turns, and how they've moved past them to build lives of purpose, passion, and impact. And let me just add on a personal note that I've heard a lot of interviews with Elizabeth Gilbert, and Liz's conversation with her on Plucking Up is hands down my favorite. Subscribe to Plucking Up on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Shelter in Place, a podcast about coming together in a world that pulls us apart. From Oakland, California to Hamilton, Massachusetts, I'm Laura Joyce Davis. We're trying to fix some serious fears here in our lives, and that's what mainly colors and informs our decisions and perspectives on race is some kind of fear of something. I try and get people to see the fear and see how everybody's afraid. Way back in June, I had a conversation with a stranger. It's a conversation I've thought a lot about during this pandemic, partly because it was unusual, but also because it helped me to not get stuck in my fear. It was a little over a week after George Floyd was killed in the city that I grew up in, a city that in many ways still feels like home. Our country was roiling with anger and grief and fear. I was too. It was a turning point for Shelter in Place, a moment when we realized that this show wasn't just about finding daily sanity, but about learning to come together in community even when there were seemingly endless reasons for division. I knew I didn't have the wisdom or perspective to do that alone, so I reached out to some people who could guide me. One of those people was Moki Musau. Moki is a realtor by day, but he's also a theologian. He went to seminary with my husband's sister, Hillary. Hillary suggested I reach out to Moki, and he agreed to this very weird thing I was proposing. In our first conversation ever, we'd talk about racism. I'd ask the questions I'd been too afraid to voice, and he'd get the floor to say whatever he wanted. I was nervous going into that conversation, but I didn't need to be. Moki was incredibly gracious. You can hear our conversation in Season 1, Episode 67, Circling Back. Recently, Moki and I talked again. And even though it was only our second conversation, it felt like reconnecting with an old friend. I feel like you're my super close friend, even though this is our second conversation, <laughs> which is like strange, but also kind of awesome. <laughs> I wonder if part of that might be our point of connection through Hillary. She trusts me, you trust me, and I trust you, and you trust her, and all that. I think intellectual empathy was kind of built in before we met. You don't make very many friends after you turn 30, to be honest. So this is really, really special. If you're just joining us, you're welcome to listen to the episodes in this pandemic odyssey out of order. But after you listen, I suggest going back to the beginning of season two to hear the full story of how my family ended up getting way more adventure than we'd bargained for. And, at least for now, settling on the opposite side of the country, in the same time zone as Moki. Moki lives in Leesburg, Virginia, and he's been busy during this pandemic. 
interest rates are low and the demand for homes is high, which means the prices have gotten higher too. It's become a lot more competitive. It's ironic, there's the pandemic, things are shutting down, slowing down, and real estate actually accelerated once the shutdown happened. It's been the inverse of everything else that's been going on. Leesburg is about an hour away from Washington, D.C. Moki says that with so many people working from home, a lot of people from the city have relocated. There are people that love the city. People love being close to everything, almost like a blanket of activity and things to do and public transportation. People love that. And some people don't, but they are in the city because of necessity. And when the chance comes that they can be outside or live somewhere else where they can get fresh air, people from cities are considering coming out here. It's a slower pace, like being at a country house while being right near your job. I don't want to say it's an exodus or something like that. But they want a home that feels good to be in because everywhere else is miserable. You go outside, you got to wear a mask. You can't hold hands. You can't shake hands. You can't be close to people. Everywhere outside your home, there's distance and there's coldness. You don't even see full faces. I got my flu shot. had a conversation with a guy. I don't even know what he looks like. Outside the house, people aren't even like full faces. It's just half faces. All you're seeing is eyes and like half of a nose. I want to feel that this is a place where we can actually see our full faces. You know, we can be our full selves. People are looking for a place that they won't feel miserable being in for a long period of time. When we bought our starter home in Oakland 12 years ago, we couldn't imagine life with kids. We figured we'd move someplace bigger by then. Even when we were assembling IKEA bunk beds and cramming three kids into a single room, we still weren't making plans to move. But when first the pandemic and then wildfire smoke forced us indoors, what we needed in a home changed. Home became school, office, church, gym, movie theater, restaurant, library, and a place where quiet and solitude were a distant dream. If you've been listening, then you know that ultimately we decided to leave our home, at least for now in search of a temporary home that could give us the support and space to survive this pandemic. The question of what makes a great home, I think it has to have something flourishing inside. I think about nature. You got a forest and there's animals and plants. I'm not a forest expert. I'm a realtor and a theologian. And so what I think about a forest, you've got things that grow, you've got things that die, you've got seasons where there's a harvest and seasons where there's planting. There's friction and tension, but then also thriving and abundance and all that stuff happens all the time. I think a great home is a place where you can have all of that. When we left Oakland, it felt like we were uprooting ourselves, exposing the roots of the life we used to have. It was painful. You could say that our stint in Massachusetts is a bit like taking a potted plant indoors for the winter. There's no question that the move was what we needed. In our old life, there was plenty of friction and tension, but not a lot of thriving in abundance. Our little plant was looking pretty sickly by the time we left Oakland. But I think what's interesting about Moki's metaphor is that home isn't just one plant. It's a forest. One of the things that made our home in Oakland so special was that we lived in a neighborhood where people were friends, where we took care of each other's kids. 
There was a lot of generosity there, enough goodness to go around. The pandemic forced us to get creative about what that looked like, but it didn't go away completely. Even out here, people need to be with other people. On the one hand, I mean, people were like, oh my gosh, I can finally get out of D.C. But then if you're home all the time, you get sick and tired of that. So even here, people are going out and doing more. It's created a new way of being in community together as residents of, of the city. Necessity is the mother of all invention, and we needed to be with each other. Leesburg is doing what it can to make people feel like, you know, we are trying to get through this as a community. They're realizing just how resilient community can be. And that's one of the cool things I've seen. For now, our plant is hanging out in Hamilton, Massachusetts, the town where my husband grew up. Our community consists of his parents and siblings. With the daily support of family, our plant is slowly beginning to revive. But even for my husband, who grew up here, it doesn't feel like home. The plants are all different. The climate is a shock to our system. We don't yet know our way around the forest. That's something Moki has experienced too. I grew up in Kenya, was there until 2001, when my parents and my brothers and I moved here. My dad worked for a government accounting contracting firm in healthcare financing. He was always going back and forth between here and Kenya and then also from Kenya to other countries and was spending a lot of time here. So we came here. I was in seventh grade. I feel like if you do middle school in America, that's like your initiation. And I hated it. I didn't realize I hated it until I became an adult and I started going to therapy. My brothers and I played soccer growing up and that really helped us a lot. It helped us get friends, you know, helped with all the culture shock and all that mess that comes with it. And I went to community college and then I went to George Mason. I made some great friends here. All I knew of America for 18 years was Virginia. My family and I went back to Kenya when I was 14. And then I personally went back when I was 20 for my cousin's funeral. And it's so hard. I fell into the American busyness. I don't know if it's a trap or a dream. Time slipped away from me and I wasn't able to find a way to get back. But also, I just didn't have a strong connection to my extended family. I only spoke English. You know, I didn't speak Swahili, I didn't speak Kikuyu, I didn't speak Kikamba. And so it was hard. I remember when I went to my cousin's funeral, it was all in Swahili and Kikamba, and everybody gets a part. I gave the eulogy on behalf of all his cousins, and I gave it all in English. And 90% of the people there didn't speak English. So there's a huge cultural disconnection between me and them that was just very difficult to overcome. I ended up spending the formative years of my childhood not there with no real ways to keep that connection going. Back then we had calling cards and we didn't even have like video anything. It was expensive to stay connected. Leesburg is where I felt the biggest connection just because I've spent a lot of formative time what I do have for Kenya is I have this sense that I gotta take care of family somehow because that's what you do. My dad gave a lot of money and support to his dad, to his brothers, and I think his sister too. My mom gave a lot as well. There's a strong sense that you gotta give back to where you came from. You gotta make a contribution somehow. It's a sense of duty, you know, filial piety if you wanna call it that. Family's gotta take care of family. 
There isn't a sense of home, but there is still that strong sense of family duty and responsibility that I feel for them. We feel that too. We wouldn't be here in Massachusetts without it. And it's a gift, this time with extended family after so many years away. But it doesn't bring us any closer to finding our way home. This week, I read a story in the Wall Street Journal written by a business owner who left California because it was no longer profitable. The state's policies and taxes and wildfires and high cost of living had made it feel impossible to thrive there. The net migration out of California is a big topic these days. And I know all of these things. I knew them when we lived there. But still, it's home. Sometimes you just like your home and you can't describe it, but you just know that you like being there. And that's how I feel about here. I loved growing up here. I would love to stay here for a long time. I know the places I like playing golf here. I know the breweries, the cigar shops. We appreciate the same things, the same opportunities that we have here. And we all hate the same things, which is basically traffic and the tolls. The tolls just keep getting more expensive. We all hate them and we get through it together. I wasn't born in Oakland, but I loved living there. If I can figure out a way to do it sustainably, I would love to stay there for a long time. I know my favorite running trails and bike rides with a mile of smoothly paved downhill that I can cruise down without breaking. I know my favorite taco truck, coffee shop, dive bar, and restaurant for special occasions. Life is too expensive and the taxes are high and there's never enough money for our public schools. But we get through it together. To use Moki's metaphor, all of those trees make for a beautiful forest. Moki's parents brought him to this country, but he made the choice to stay and put down roots. When he was 26, he became a U.S. citizen, a process which he said was far from simple. Pending status. That term still makes me, like, I just don't like it. I remember going to get my driver's license. Each time, it was the biggest hassle because it always happened when my dad's visa status was pending. We always had to renew our visa, and it takes forever. It was so painstaking, so annoying, so expensive. And I remember going to the DMV, and they're like, we can't accept your visa because it's pending. They just tell you to come back later. I got my green card when I was 20, and that's what helped me fly out of the U.S. without any problems. The naturalization process, I started on my own, and that was the easiest one, to be honest. Because at that point, it's just, do you have the money? That's literally it. Actually, throughout the entire journey, like, renewing your visa, getting a new visa, getting all that is so expensive. I started paying for it myself when I was going from green card to naturalization. And then, you know, I go to the courthouse, People were crying and cheering, all sorts of stuff. The idea that a whole room of people denounce all other allegiances and devote your life to the values and to defend America and all these kinds of things. They're actually initiating you into this American life. That was powerful. That's one of the few initiation experiences I've had in my life. One was converting to Christianity. <laughs> the other one was becoming an American, right? And you feel it. You honestly feel it because a part of your identity is actually changing. 
and to this day that's still one of the most powerful experiences that that i have and for me it's very complicated because unlike black people who are born here grew up here have ancestry here where you're in a way born american but you don't feel american or you feel like second class citizen so like there's no ceremony for black people where they say okay you're no longer a second class citizen you're a first class citizen that i think would be an equivalent to what i went through i mean let's think about this let's think about it from a religious point of view i'll use malcolm x malcolm x at one point was not a muslim he went to prison, discovered Islam, and became a follower of Allah and the Honorable Prophet Muhammad. There was a period in his life prior to, and a period of his life after. For me, as an American, there's a period of life when I was legitimately not American, and now I am. I did not have these freedoms at all, in the sense that there was no protection from the law for me, and then there was a period where that now became available to me. The idea of becoming American was a very spiritual experience because I personally chose to do that. And that was a very powerful and positive experience for me. And I'm not saying like my experience is the same as everybody who's been through that. I'm talking about myself. But the fact that I have a moment when I was not American and I became one makes me feel a sense of connection with all the people that call themselves American. I'll be back with more of this story right after this short break. I don't know about you, but I'm finding that it's the little things that go a long way lately. Like when someone sends you a really nice text, or when you hear that song that you love that you forgot about, or when an ordinary dinner becomes special with a really great glass of wine. Which is why I am so excited to tell you about our sponsor, Delta Wines, who can deliver wine right to your front door. Delta means change. And Delta Wines were born out of a desire to make a difference and protect our planet. For every bottle of wine you buy, they'll donate a dollar to partner companies who are cleaning up our oceans and reducing CO2 emissions. Best of all, their wines are affordable and delicious. Go to winesforchange.com and use the code SHELTER to get 10% off your order and support this show. When Moki and I talked the first time, we mostly talked about racism in America. Six months and one presidential election later, I wanted to know if his perspective had shifted. I didn't just want to ask Moki this because he's black. I wanted to ask him because as a realtor, he spends time with all kinds of people. Growing up, I saw people that went through some tough times and didn't have anybody there for them. I've been through some tough times and the people that were there for me were people who were, even with the race thing, politically totally different from me, but they were there. I helped a, a couple buy a home, and on closing day, homeboy comes in with cowboy boots and a Confederate belt buckle. We had just been through this experience where I asked them, do you need help? And they said yes. And they tell me about their home situation that's terrible. They live in a place that's drug infested. It's not safe for them. The maintenance is poor. And they just felt like their lives were like in the trash can. And they asked me to help them. And when we started working together, we were all on the same team. We would talk about if they feel like they're making progress. We would talk about how I could help them better. And so on closing day, it wasn't homeboy with the belt. It was we all accomplished something together. For me, my struggle is I see the bigger picture and sometimes lose sight of some of these particulars that are completely divisive. And I'm gracious. 
I try and graciously give people second chances and also know when to cut them off because that's how you do with family. Now, I'm not saying I cut my family off entirely, but I draw boundaries where it's like, yo, I'm still here for you, but we can't hang. But when I make the criticism, I still know that they're family. So I'm not going to tell them you're dead and gone. You're doomed forever. And I think America is just this country that's like a really bad family that kills each other. Bad families sometimes just have people that are mean to each other, but you don't go out killing each other all the time. We're trying to fix some serious fears here in our lives, and that's what mainly colors and informs our decisions and perspectives on race is some kind of fear of something. And I try and get people to see the fear and see how everybody's afraid. And the problem is that once we realize we're afraid, we realize that we're carrying a lot of pain that we don't want to resolve because the pain is now part of our identity. And to remove the pain means to remove the identity. Throughout these episodes, I've been drawing inspiration from Homer's Odyssey. It's the story of a meandering journey home with lots of action and adventure and disappointment along the way, kind of like the journey we're on now. In the original Odyssey, when he finally gets back to Ithaca, the home Odysseus returns to is one he hardly recognizes. There are people in his house that he never invited in, and he's furious. When I hear people talk about making America great again, or about restoring the soul of America, whichever direction we're coming from, I wonder if we're all just feeling a bit like Odysseus, like we thought we knew what home was, and now it's all changing. We're outraged. We feel the need to do something drastic to restore what we thought we had. But this is where the metaphor breaks down. Because the people in Odysseus's house were unruly suitors, and yes, I know that sometimes our country can look that way, but for the most part, the people in our home aren't here because they want to cause trouble. They're people like Moki, who came here for a better life, who because of the way America welcomed and shaped them, feel more at home here than the places they came from. They aren't just staying in this house, they're doing home improvements. The Odyssey ends with a scene that feels like the worst possible outcome for our country. Odysseus kills all of the suitors, and then their families plot revenge. There's a lot of death and destruction in the Odyssey, so maybe killing people had just become normal for Odysseus by the time he got home, but I really hope that we can find a better solution to our problems than Odysseus did. It's only thanks to the goddess Athena that the whole thing doesn't end in civil war. And yes, I know we're talking Greek mythology, but still, you have to wonder if there could have been a better ending. After George Floyd, I was taking my cues from Zynga Harrison, a psychologist that I heard. And what I have learned is that racism is like this drug that is killing us, but we're addicted to it. We know it's not good. It's a problem. Even addicts, at some point, they don't even want to do the drugs. They just don't know what else to do. I mean, let's talk about America as a person. It's destroying us internally in terms of the body. And then it's destroying our relationship with other people, with other countries or whatever. But we just keep doing it. We just keep using it. We got to have it, even though it's killing us. This analogy is going to be drawn way past its limits. But drugs destroy the body in some ways that are incurable. But when you can save the body, this gives us the chance to live with the wounds and learn from them. 
I think it's possible. How does it happen? We got to know that we all belong here. We all deserve the same things. It's, we need something to bind us together other than America. We have to be able to unite and remain connected by stronger values than the ones that are disconnecting us. We just got to read more books, listen to more old folks, listen to more dead folks. We need a bigger sense of purpose and identity and meaning that is just beyond a particular group, something that could bind us together. I, I'm talking about values, not freedoms. Freedoms are related to the state and the government. The thing is that I have freedoms all day long, but it's the values that I have that determine how I treat my wife. And so if we can find values that we connect with, those will help put our freedoms in proper perspective. Responsibility is one of my values. I got people that are different political affiliation than me, different religious whatever than me. Well, the way I talk to them or relate to them is no different than the way I relate to people who have the same opinions and thoughts as me. And my closest friends right now are the people that have a sense of responsibility for the lives of those around them. We get together and help one another take care of ourselves and take care of the people that we love. Is there an identity of America that goes beyond the government and the state? I think of South Africa, this idea of reconciliation and forgiveness were these very defining values that were beyond the state that characterized what the state wanted to be. Values have a greater potential for redemption. We're a week out from Thanksgiving. Many of us are having to face hard realities this year of not traveling to see family or traveling to see family, but worrying about the conversations we'll have on the other side. Some of us are facing the holiday alone Kind of like the rest of 2020, nothing about this is ideal. Also, our country's history with Thanksgiving is a bit complicated. It's an area of our history in desperate need of reconciliation and forgiveness. You can listen to Season 1, Episodes 72 and 90 to learn more about that. But I wonder if this year we could take Moki up on what he's suggesting to find something bigger to unite us than the things that divide us. Maybe we could even look beyond our party lines long enough to see the good things our differences bring to this country. Maybe we could find reasons to be grateful. There's a goofy little tradition that we started with our kids at some point in this pandemic. We put our hands together, count to three, and yell in unison, go team Davis. It's super cheesy. And at some point in the not-too-distant future, our kids are going to be too cool for it. But right now, they love it. Even if moments before they were fighting or we were all cranky with each other, the mood changes immediately once Go Team Davis is on the table. I think maybe what's going on is what Moki is talking about. Go Team Davis reminds us of a shared value that we all have. And that ultimately, whatever happens, we are there for each other. It helps us to appreciate each other, to be more charitable in the way that we interact. I know it's not a simple ask for our country to come up with a way to put our hands together and put aside our differences and debates. But Moki's suggestion gives us a tangible way to start. I've been ending each episode with an invitation. And so today, 
I asked Moki to invite us into the kind of home that he hopes that we can still find. What I would invite people to do is get on a Google calendar or whichever calendar you use and have a span of 90 days and ask, what is one thing that I'm afraid to do or one person that I'm afraid to talk to about X, Y, and Z or ask them this kind of question or pursue this knowledge because I'm afraid of what I'm going to find out or that I'm going to be proven wrong. Have a plan for discovering someone or something that you are a bit apprehensive about discovering and then have a reflection period. Have some people around you that you can talk with. For me, I mean, I'm going to be honest, I hang out with some people that are very, very right side, but they still like me. (laughs) We still hang out on a regular basis and they appreciate me and I appreciate them. And there's no end to this. It's just a process. You just got to keep doing it over and over and over again until charity becomes a part of your life. Pretty early on, we realized that shelter in place wasn't just about the pandemic. It was about a community that feels like home. Not the kind of home that Odysseus had where the host chases after guests with a bow and arrow, but the sort of place where you're greeted with a hug or a celebratory drink. No matter how you're dressed or whether or not you come bearing a gift or empty-handed, you're welcome. You're treated the way that Moki treated me, like an old friend. That's the feeling we want you to have when you listen to Shelter in Place. And it's the vision we have for our country, no matter how crazy or idealistic that vision might seem. We know it's possible because in conversation after conversation, we've seen it happen. As always, you can hear Shelter in Place outtakes if you listen all the way to the end of the episode. But first, I want to welcome our very first Shelter in Place apprentice, Fatima Romero-Afi. Fatima won our hearts when she said that she loves keeping things organized and checking off lists. For these big picture thinkers, that is music to our ears. We are so thrilled to have you on our team. If you've enjoyed today's episode, I hope you'll subscribe and share it with a friend. In our conversations with potential sponsors, the first thing they ask about is the number of downloads we get. So when you share this with others and ask them to subscribe, you move us a little closer to making this work sustainable. Rating and leaving a quick review about what you like about Shelter in Place helps others to find us. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at the handle Shelter in Place Podcast and on Twitter at Laura Joyce Davis. If you're thinking, hey, I'd like to get occasional emails from Laura, you can sign up for our newsletter, find show notes and information about our incredible sponsors, Brick and Mortar and Delta Wines and Imagine Mindfulness, as well as ways to support the show at shelterinplacepodcast.info. We'd love to hear from you. The Shelter in Place music was created by Chase Horseman at Reactor Productions. Additional music and sound effects for this episode came from Storyblocks. Nate Davis is our creative director, and Sarah Edgel is our design director. Until next week, this is Shelter in Place. I'm Laura Joyce Davis. And now, if you're still listening, here's a little outtake. Okay, everybody come together. Can we? Yeah, let's do Go Team Davis. Everybody come in. No, wait, no. Okay, everybody come together. For, wait, come. no, wait. First, let's do Go Team Davis.
the cake. Okay. Thumb, thumb, hmm? Thumb, thumb. Are we ready? One, two, two three. Go, go team, team Dennis! Dennis!